Welcome to the Left MN Radio Hour, sponsored by Left.MN, the Minnesota website that leans left. I'm Aaron Clems with co-hosts Tony Petrangelo, and on today's show we talk about the news of the week, the new budget forecast and what it means for taxes and the budget in Minnesota, and we interview Aaron Anderson from Healthcare for All, Minnesota, about healthcare reform and single-payer healthcare. But first, the weekly wrap. This week, Tony met a stranger in an alley who gave him an ancient slab of stone inscribed with Nordic runes that allow him to decipher hidden Minnesota political news stories. He puts them on the weekly wrap. So, what did you find this week, Tony? Have you been watching some uh, History Channel or something? or what? Um, you know, just I, I had a Rosetta Stone thing happen. Oh. Week, you know, so. Okay. Well, I, I kind of ripped on that. Gotcha. I see. Well, uh, some uh, a lot of news as it concerns... Uh, Marriage equality or uh, gay marriage, okay. uh, and and the uh, you know that bill in the Minnesota legislature uh, this week. Uh, first off, on Monday, the National Organization for Marriage, who are the very brave protectors of marriage, who wage war to protect marriage all across the country, <laughs> and rather ineffectively in this. Last well, cycle. ineffectively last cycle, yes, yes, very ineffectively. Uh, they, they made it known that that uh, any Republicans who vote for marriage equality will face their wrath in, as it concerns money being spent against them. And they also said they would support Democrats who vote against it. Oh. So they're, you know, they're that's bipartisan in that way. That's the kind of support that everyone wants, right? Yes, yes. They want NOM's support. So Brandon Peterson from Andover, first, first of all, he faces re-election in when? Oh, 2016. Yes, he's a senator. So. Yeah, so that will be a while before they get a chance to spend their half million dollars against Brandon Peterson. Yes. Um, and yeah, so good luck with that, guys. I, the way the way I thought this is, it's like it's kind of like they're threatening Republicans, like Obama threatens Bob Woodward. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I wonder if if you're gonna, you're, even you're going to regret. This. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're going to regret. You're going to. I apologize for the way I I treated you, but you're going to regret it. <laughs> um, the, I I question whether they'll even be around in 2016. To be honest with you, well, they didn't. The, the pace that that change is happening these days on they, uh, marriage equality. They didn't raise them. I mean, here in Minnesota, they got outspent about two to one. Uh, they weren't particularly effective. They honestly don't have a very good handle on communication strategy. I mean, I, did you watch the the press conference where they announced the bill last week, and the and the counter and the counter press conference? It was ridiculous. I mean, like. So at the announcement, you've got Scott Dibble and you've got all these you know, religious figures with their families and their young kids talking about what marriage means to them and why it's important to their families. And then after they're done, you get Grusen Glenn Gruenhagen from Glencoe talking about how there is no gay gene. There's a lot of G's in that sentence. Uh, and That's awesome alliteration. But, you know, it, and if you look at the looks on their faces, you've got all these dour, angry, unhappy people who looked like the most out of touch. They looked like the angry uncle at your, at your family gathering. They look like they might not be alive two years from now. Yeah, and, 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 and they're surprised that they're losing the messaging battle, yes. especially with young people, who look, at, who look at these two pictures and they say, I'm, like, I'm, I'm more like them than I am like them. I'm more like these gay couples that want to have their kids and raise their families than these angry social conservatives um, who, who who just you know they, they they're just full of bombast and they have nothing to offer. So well, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's it's uh, the, the younger generation. I mean, you're right. They 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 don't have any 
connection with with that or that that issue or that message that uh, against that. So yeah. please you know. please give the microphone to Glenn Gruenhagen. Yes, please. Yes. Well, yeah. let him have it. You know, just just actually, why don't you just implant it? You know, put put a microphone right there on his lapel and let him talk all he wants about gay marriage. I would love to have that happen. Well, no, I wouldn't love to hear it, but it would be good for the cause probably in the long run. Um, but then, yeah. So then you mentioned it there on Wednesday. They rolled out the bill, yep. uh, and this being supported by Scott Dibble in the Senate and uh, Karen Clark in the House. Well, those are the authors. It's being supported by many number of people, I'm sure. Yep. Um, but then, you know, always the classiest man in the room, uh, Senator Dan Hall of Rosemount, no, Burnsville, 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 yeah, that part of town, yeah, yep. south, south suburbs represent. Uh, Dan, <laughs> Dan Hall uh, decides that he's going to make this a civil rights issue for haters, and he's going to make the stand that he'll go to jail before he ever marries a homosexual. Then he'll probably not go to jail anytime soon, because the legislation specifically exempts any members of clergy from having to perform same-sex marriage ceremonies if they don't want to. Yes, I don't think anybody ever has wanted to force... Priests to gay marry people. There's never been any forced marriages that I can think of. Yes. I mean, if anything, there have been clergy that have been denied the right to marry the folks that they want to sanctify their marriages. Well, um, whether we, we know there's one in, in the in the studio right now. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I have, I am, uh, if you're not familiar with this, I am a member of the Universal Life Church, and I am a registered minister in the state of Minnesota. So if we ever have a, a massive... Let's gay marry everybody day. I will be the first person in line. Well, I'll be I'll be in line behind a lot of folks probably, but I will be happy to marry as many couples that would like me to sanctify their marriage. I would love that. Gay, and right now you're being denied that opportunity. I am gay, straight, whatever, man. I will be happy to marry you um, if that day comes. So please uh, keep me in mind in case that ever happens. And well, actually, when it happens, when in case. Well, you can just happens. make a deal with Dan Hall. Hey, Dan. If you're ever forced to gay marry somebody, I'll do it for. I'll yeah. take that bullet for you. Dan. And then and then I'll go to jail. <laughs> I don't know. All right, you're listening to the Left MN Radio Hour on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. We're talking about the weekly wrap every week on Left.MN. There's the weekly wrap post that goes up on Friday, um, and we talk about the stories in therein in this section of the show. So, um, also somewhat relatedly, a uh, friend of friend of this very show. Yeah. Minnesota Vikings punter Chris Cluey, along with uh, his uh, NFL colleague Brandon Ian Badagio. I knew I was going to say <laughs> Screw that up. Ian Badagio, who plays for the world champion Baltimore Ravens, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Uh, filed an amicus brief with the United States Supreme Court uh, in support of striking down Prop 8. Yep, and it's also, by the way, Brian, Brandon Ian Badagio is a um, teammate of Matt Burke. Yes. Um, who stands on the opposite side of this question. Um, but yeah, they, so it's kind of cool that you've got football players filing amicus curiae briefs with the Supreme Court. And if you read, if you read the brief, by the way, which is linked on the weekly rap post, it's great. Um, it makes legal arguments on top of this making pretty good arguments about the role that professional sports plays in changing culture and society. Yeah, and that, well, that's, that's, there, there, there is a reason for it, I guess, when you read it. It's not just them two deciding they're going to grandstand or something like that. Um, it might be part of that too, but well, know, but you know, they actually have something to say as it regards their, you know, about why they're involved in the case. And yeah, why they there's there's a lot of people filing briefs on this. So, yep, friends of the court, and uh, and, we'll and, and there was a bunch of uh, 
Uh, there's actually a bunch of uh, yeah uh, 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 national reps who were, who were signed on to the the president's brief on this too. I think or there were the White 200, House 212 members of Congress, I believe, okay. who, who filed on that on that one. So you yes. got folks lining up to uh, say their piece about the Supreme Court cases as they pertain to marriage equality, and uh, so there's both a national and a state debate going on right now. Um, but whatever happens at the court, I think it's still important that the legislature take this issue up this session. Um, and not use that as an excuse not to address this issue, because Minnesotans want action on this issue. Well, you know, and who knows what the court's going to do, but what the courts usually do is make a very narrow ruling, and a very narrow ruling would have no effect on Minnesota pretty much. If they struck down DOMA, then maybe that would have an effect, but typically in in a situation like this, the the rulings tend to be narrow in scope. Um, Especially given this court and what they might do, and I, I think the best hope you have is a narrow decision that it allows states to take some actions they might not be able to take right now. Yeah. Um, what else we got going on this week? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the Republican Party of Minnesota is deciding between Keith Downey and who? And uh, Bill Paulson, I guess, who's Bill. a uh, uh, was a uh, Ron Paul delegate to the National Convention. And Keith Downey was co-chair of Kurt Bill's Senate campaign, who was a Ron Paul supporter. So... Are they both Ron Paul people? I don't know. Because <laughs> like, Downey seems to be the establishment guy. He's but a business consultant. He's an he, establishment guy. I don't understand. It was never explained what he was doing with the Kurt Bills camp- campaign. Yeah, it never really. Well, he kind of ran away from that after a while. No one wanted to admit they were associated with Kurt Bills. And so 30 points, Keith Downey, trying to take over from 20 points, Pat Shortridge. Uh has a lot to be a lot of explaining to do. Uh, have you seen, by the way, this uh, MNGOP Builders Facebook page? I, I haven't looked at it. I've actually seen it referenced on on Facebook. You really uh, have to read it. It is classic. Um, is this the Andy Parrish people, or they're the people pushing Andy Parrish for leadership yeah, or something? I, I guess. I, I, the, there are a number of Republicans who tweeted at me and told me that this was a parody page. Oh. Um, but yeah, yesterday the MNGOP builders read this piece of it's poorly really a parody page, or that's well, I know you you listen to one status and you tell me. Uh, yesterday the MNGOP builders read this piece of poorly written trash by Padawada. This dipsomaniac fairy godmother is only a traitor to the MNGOP platform by supporting sodomite marriage. <laughs> it goes on and on and on. It's just it so, it sounds like a parody site, but you never know. It sounds there, like Andy Parish is what well, it sounds like. <laughs> so I don't it, know. If it, it could it, yeah. Oh well. There, there's uh, there's an internet maxim that uh, <clears throat> it's very difficult to distinguish parody from extremism. Well, that's true. <laughs> and the best parody is the one that seems the most realistic. And there, yes. So. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a it's a good piece. So if you want to want a good laugh and you're looking for uh, either people making fun of GOPers or actually doing crazy stuff, go check out MNGOP Builders on Facebook. MNGOP builders. Uh, lastly, uh, ranked choice voting is going to be a big issue in Minneapolis, but it's expensive. Yes, yes. What is it, five times? Five times more expensive than a regular election. Per I'm vote. S- on I'm a s- per vote basis. On a per vote basis. I'm yeah. assuming some of that has to do with because they have to get new voting machines, and that cost will get yeah, and amortized have- over time as they use them more and more, but still, it's more expensive regardless, yeah, even with have- the voting machines. And they have to train people on how to use them and how to, how to run the election, and that's going to be a lot of expense, but hopefully... Uh, it will result in the will of the people being fully expressed. And that is the Weekly Wrap on the Left MN Radio Hour. You can read more about these stories by clicking on Weekly Wrap at left.mn every week, every week on Friday. Next, we're going to come back and talk about 
the budget forecast and what it means for taxes and the budget in Minnesota. Welcome back to the Left MN Radio Hour on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're sponsored by Left.MN, the Minnesota website that leans left. And you can check out podcasts of the show and learn more about the stories we talk about on the radio by going to Left.MN. This week was the week that every budget geek has been waiting for at the Capitol. And that is the week where the final budget forecast that's going to happen during this cycle came out. And the estimate that was released Thursday shows that the state has a little bit more money than they thought they were going to have before, which reduces the, up, the deficit, which was thought of being about $1.1 billion, down to around $627 million, assuming nothing else changes in the budget. Uh, and that's a little bit of extra money, but it also changes a lot of political calculus as well, um, especially as it pertains to a couple of things. One is what kinds of taxes are likely to change as a, uh, throughout this legislative session, uh, and secondly, what kinds of spending um, and investments in Minnesota might be able to be added? And lastly is what happens with the school shift, right? There's some extra money that's going to go back to the schools as a result of the better economic picture in Minnesota. But first of all, you've got all kinds of political reactions that you start with. Um, and the one that I think is the most amusing this week is the number of Republicans who are claiming that this is evidence of the GOP's success in the last legislative session at trying to accomplish uh, reform that would result in growth. So I saw a number of folks up on Twitter talking about the GOP recovery. What do you think about GOP recovery, Tony? Did they have a hashtag and everything for it? I'm sure they probably did, because you know, they're so good at social media. Yeah, they, they always have to have a hashtag for everything. Like when yeah. they roll it out with their, their press conference, they have a hashtag on the placard right in front of the podium and everything. I mean, they're just outlandish claims being made by Republicans about how, how I mean, remember, these are the same people that, 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 I mean, they're the same ones who are currently talking about how Obama's economy is so dismal, but they're willing to claim credit in Minnesota. I mean, they're the same people that, that basically battled Mark Dayton to what they thought was maybe a draw, and now they're claiming victory two years later after they lost an election? I don't know, man. It's ridiculous. But well, you know, <laughs> you got to do what you can, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was it, it's, it's double plus good. Double <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to bring up bring out some new, bring out some, yeah some new speak bring out some new speak terms to describe it the pearl feed and all that. <laughs> um, but here's one of the things I think is really interesting is what's going to happen with the with the sales tax proposals. Um, you know, as you recall, the proposal from the Dayton administration was to reduce the rate to 5.5 percent, but significantly expand the base, including clothing sales for items over $100, but also a number of business to business services. Um, what do you think the chances of that surviving are, Tony? Well, the, the chances of that surviving didn't that, – that was the one thing that seemed least likely to survive was the business-to-business taxes yeah. uh, as it was. So if, if there's any taxes that are on the chopping block, it would seem like those would be the first ones up. But I mean, I think what really fascinates me about this whole political battle over these business-to-business sales taxes is that lost in this whole thing is that nobody is opposing higher income taxes on the wealthy. Well – Maybe that's the point, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if, if the part of this strategy was a grand look at the hand over here kind of thing on the part of the Dayton administration so that they can get through changes like a higher top-tier bracket in, income tax increase and, you know, honestly, a very progressive version of a clothing sales tax. Um, well, success. 
because I don't see anybody claiming anything about those being bad. No, it, well, and 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 that's the thing. The it, the the Chamber of Commerce types pretty quickly seceded on the higher income taxes thing. A because it seemed like it was inevitable it was going to come. I mean, that was Mark Dayton's primary campaign theme, right? Yeah. So it seems unfathomable in a way that he would his party would win control of the legislature and then he wouldn't push that through. I yeah. mean, that that was going to happen. So I think they basically said, well, you know what, we're not going to fight that because what's the point, but uh, this other thing, let's focus on that, and maybe you're right. It might have just been a lightning rod. You know, you throw that in there, you get a lightning rod up there, everybody focuses on that, and then you can, you know, in peace, uh, do the stuff you really want to do. Not only that, but, you know, the one thing that they can do if they have to give up on the property, t- uh, give up on the um sales tax issue is to point out that, well, we just can't afford this property tax rebate now. We wanted to give every homeowner in Minnesota $500, and Republicans decided to stop that. So, sorry, but no, you know, no, money, for, no money for the property tax rebate. Well, and they I, could do that. Because that is a big chunk of cash. I mean, that is one of the biggest components of Mark Dayton's budget, chain, budget changes. Uh, and... Uh, that will certainly be lost if the if if there is no sales tax increase um, or expansion that is on uh, business business sales taxes. Um, sequestration looks like it happened, right? Yep, Friday came, nothing got done. The federal but wait the oh yeah the power's still on and everything. Yeah, well, Whoa, I, the, I'm I didn't die. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the sequestra- the sequestration battle is interesting on the federal level, but you know I, I want to start by focusing on what it did in Minnesota. Minnesota, in case you're not aware of it, is not particularly reliant on federal budget spending. No, we're uh, we're uh, we're a uh, uh, maker state. Yeah, you know if we're Germany and Alabama is Greece. Yes, basically. this is exactly the analogy. Yes, and uh, so a lot of the states that are going to be the most highly affected by sequestration, especially are those that are highly dependent on defense spending, and so uh, states that have uh, lots of military bases or are home to lots of military contractors are likely to see a big decrease um, in jobs. But Minnesota is fairly well insulated from that. Yeah, we have some defense stuff here, but it's not at all one of the main industries in the state. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, the Minnesota Management Budget Office estimated that federal sequester cuts would reduce Minnesota employment growth by no more than 5,000 jobs by the end of 2013. And, and, that's, and that's good news. I mean, those are not, you know, for the 5,000 people who are, who are not going to work, that's bad news, very bad news. Um, but at the same time, this sequestration battle on the state level basically is uh, it's kind of a wash um, and frankly, to some extent, I'm kind of glad to see we're finally cutting defense spending a little bit, um, which has been a huge bloat in the federal budget. Uh, but at the state level, of course, we have other issues, too. How are we going to pay for increases in higher ed spending and K-12 ed spending? Uh, these are some of the centerpieces of, of Mark Dayton's budget. And uh, to the extent that they might, he might lose the revenue source, he may very well lose the, that, that spending piece as well. And Mark Dayton's made it pretty clear that we've got a problem with K-12 spending. Um, Dayton at his press conference said that state's K-12 spending per $1,000 of personal income. In 1996, we were fifth in the nation. And now we're about 33rd. We're below average. We're below average. Yes, Minnesota cannot be below average. No, absolutely not. Just a little bit slightly above average would be fine. Yes, as and long as we're above average. We also have a problem with higher ed spending. I mean, we're at basically 1999 levels for higher ed spending, but we have about 30,000 more students. And in, a, in, a, in an economy where we need 
good job training where we need to have folks that are ready to be nimble and move from a career, move to different careers, we have to make sure that our higher ed and K-12 spending is up above average, not below average. Um, lastly is healthcare spending. And there's lots of changes in healthcare, the healthcare sector. We're going to talk about more in the next segment. We've got Aaron Anderson from healthcare, um, healthcare for all Minnesotan, for all Minnesota, uh, to talk about some of these changes. But actually there's been a restraint in some of the growth in the healthcare spending. And that's been a huge drag on the rest of the budget for a long time. Uh, with healthcare costs going up 10, 15% a year, it's really hard to keep up with spending on things like higher education and K-12. So I guess the bottom line is it looks like the budget situation is improving. Um, it may change the mix of revenue and spending, but in all, it's got to be good news for Minnesota. All right, we've got Aaron Anderson from Healthcare for All Minnesota coming in next to talk about health care reform, the health exchange, and the impact of Obamacare on Minnesota. You won't want to miss that, so come right back. Uh, welcome back. You're listening to the Left MN Radio Hour on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're sponsored by Left.MN, the Minnesota website that leans left. You can find podcasts of the show and more information about the stories we talk about on the show at Left.MN. And we're joined in the studio today by Aaron Anderson, Executive Director of Healthcare for All Minnesota. HCAMN is committed to creating a comprehensive single-payer health care system in Minnesota, and we're really pleased to have her in the studio to talk about the health care uh, exchange, health care issues, and single-payer health care. So thank you for joining us today, Erin. Thank you. Um, so first of all, tell us about the organization. Uh, what is Healthcare for All Minnesota? Who formed it? Who's involved and what's your mission? Uh, Healthcare for All Minnesota is a nonprofit. Uh, we're a 501c4 uh, based out of St. Paul, and our uh, mission is to establish a single payer healthcare system um, in Minnesota, a state based system. Uh, the organization was formed by a bunch of very passionate volunteers who care about the issue. And uh, we came together around single payer healthcare. And so right now, we have been working at the uh, in the legislature to push the Minnesota Health Plan, which is one of the or which is the the piece of legislation that um, would establish the single payer health care system in Minnesota. And we're working a lot with um, different other organizations. The Minnesota Nurses Association has been one of our key partners. Um, Physicians for a National Health Program, which is an organization of over a thousand physicians here in Minnesota that are working to establish a single payer system, and a bunch of different other organizations. Um, unions, uh, small businesses, and um, we're hoping to gather more support as we move forward. So, um, first of all, for those folks who aren't as familiar with this difference between a single-payer system and the current system we have now, what's how would that differ from the kind of healthcare system we have today? Um, well, I think the best example that we can look to in a single-payer system is Medicare. Um, it's something that we've had for a long time. People love Medicare, and um, as it is, it's different from the system we have now because it's a, a system where everybody pays into and everybody benefits from. Um, right now, and, and everybody can access at some time too. Um, right now, what we have is a system where it's really based on your ability to uh, your economic level. You have to. <clears throat> with insurance systems, you have to pay premiums, and there's a lot of barriers to healthcare coverage, such as co-pays, deductibles, and not everybody has access. And it's also a very expensive system. We pay more per capita than any other country in the world, and um, and we don't benefit. Our healthcare outcomes are not very good. We're 37th in the world, um, and and that's not great. So where, where's all the money going? 
if there's if we're spending all this money and we are we're spending a tremendous amount of money on health care and we're not getting those outcomes that other countries that are spending less are getting where's the money going uh administrative costs it's really two administrative costs. Medicare has a um, administrative overhead of about three percent, where um, the private system has between thirty and twenty to thirty percent of overhead. Yeah, and, and I know that part of the healthcare, um, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, I guess we'll call it that, because he he likes this label too. But um, one of the one of the provisions that was put in there by by uh, Senator um, Franken, uh, the the loss ratio mm-hmm. limited the amount of profits that these insurers can make, and they're already paying. Refunds based on that. Yeah, and that's 20. Per- the loss ratio is 20 percent, and so you're looking at, um, you know, where Medicare has a three percent overhead cost, and you're looking at private private insurance companies 20 percent. If everybody were to pay into one system, and there'd be one set of billing codes, um, uniform reimbursement rates, um, you know, just uniform u- uniformity across the board, um, you wouldn't have to deal with all that administrative overhead. I mean, I, I guess I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but I mean, in round numbers, how much is 17% of all the health care we spend in, Minnesota, in the United States? I don't know that off the top of my head, but it's a lot. It's in the billions. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be in the billions of dollars. Um, now, Minnesota is not the worst state in the union when it comes to health care. We actually have done a lot of good stuff. I mean, and we've got a lot, long way to go. Um, but what's the best part of the system that we have in Minnesota for health care compared to other states in the United States? Well, I think part of it is that we do have a low uninsured rate. Um, our uninsured rate right now is about 8%. Um, but when you put that into real numbers, that's over half a million Minnesotans. And also, um, one of the bad things about our system is that we have the second highest rate of high deductible health insurance plans in the nation. Um, and, you know, high deductible health insurance plans are a huge barrier to access when you're talking about, um, you know, people avoiding care because they have to pay a, a large deductible. We have a, a member here or a, a volunteer that works with our organization who's told her health care story about how she has a $10,000 deductible on her plan and she has a history of breast cancer. So with the history of breast cancer, she's uh, advised by her doctors to to get um, biannual mammograms, and because of her ten thousand dollar deductible, she can't she can't do that. So basically, she'd either had to write a check for ten thousand dollars basically every year to start getting coverage, or she has to pay for it out of pocket up to the point where she gets that. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of people are in that same position, even with individual plans. Um, people, you know, tend to take these high deductible plans because the premiums are low. But then they're really um, putting off needed health care because they can't afford the deductibles and the co-pays. And that's something that's actually um, being shifted onto the workers as well. Uh, a lot, in the past, uh, companies didn't provide these high deductible plans. They usually, you know, the deductibles and co-pays were low. But because the health care costs are rising so much, um, companies are really shifting the shifting to high deductible plans to keep their premiums low. And so they're passing those costs along to, on to their employees. Yeah. You're listening to the Left MN Radio Hour on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Aaron Clems with co-host Tony Petrangelo, and we're talking to Aaron Anderson from Healthcare for All Minnesota about single-payer health care this hour. Um, it's kind of the same thing that's been happening with, you know, pension plans and other kinds of benefits. It seems like wherever the costs go up, those are being directed toward workers and labor as opposed to uh, being absorbed by companies. Yeah, and it's really hurting the middle class. I mean, you can see it. I'm sure you see it in your life. I see it in mine. Um, you know, just thinking about, you know, I have I have this cold. Do I really need to go to the doctor? Or, you know, putting off health care um, needs because 
because you don't want to pay that out-of-pocket cost. And then talk about dental and vision and mental health. Those are things that a lot of insurance companies don't cover. And I don't know if you've been to the dentist recently, but it's not cheap to get anything fixed in your mouth. (laughs) You're right. Um, Now, I know there's lots of changes coming down the pike, and some of these are kind of really specific issues. But I wanted to just kind of touch on a couple of ideas that are floating around the Catholics. All we're here right now is about a health exchange, the health exchange, the health exchange. And um, what's going to happen with Obamacare as implementation moves forward to a 2014 implementation date? Um, and now in Minnesota, we've taken the approach of trying to create a, a Minnesota health exchange. And one of your goals, your organization, is a consumer-focused health exchange. What does that mean exactly? Um, well, we want to make sure that the health exchange that come um, that comes out of the 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 2013 legislature is something that's easy to be used by by the consumers and that it really um, represents the interests of the consumers and the people who are going to be using it. Um, the Affordable Care Act does some great things. It expands Medicare, um, increases funding to community health centers. Um, one thing that I know has affected my family um, really in the positive is allowing um, children age uh, up to age 26 to allow to stay on their parents' insurance. I have two younger brothers who are under that age. Um, and then also it does put some restraints on, restraints on insurance abuses, lifetime caps, and pre-existing conditions. And some of the things that we'd like to see um, implemented into the exchange legislation is making sure that we have a trusted board of governance um, Basically, we don't want to see HMO CEOs or people who represent insurance companies sitting on the board of governance. Um, I think there's a huge conflict of interest there, and so we want to make sure that the people sitting on the board of governance are really representing um, the consumers and, and people who are going to be accessing the health care. Um, there's something about an active purchaser requirement, too, and I, I don't really understand what that is. I was wondering if you could explain that for folks who are listening. Yeah, well, that would uh, basically allow the Board of Governance to determine what kind of products are going to be offered on the exchange. Um, and so it would really just kind of vet the products, making sure that there's no, um, you know, bad plans out there on, on the exchange and um, just making sure that, you know, what, what is offered on the exchange is good for the consumers. Mm-hmm. So Minnesota is kind of uh, a little bit unique as well because we have a requirement that all of our health insurers be nonprofits, uh, and that means we have a fairly small number of actual providers, or sorry, insurance providers. Mm-hmm. And we have some providers here that are located in our state that actually can't operate in our state as well. Yeah, like United Health, <laughs> yeah. which is one of the largest. I think it's actually the largest mm-hmm. right in the nation. Yeah. Um, what 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 have we learned about the nonprofit model for? for, for um, health care. Is that something that, that is, I mean, is that restraining costs in Minnesota? Is it, is it helping? Because it seems like it should. I mean, it seems like it should, but I, you know, you can see that our health care costs are going up just as much as everybody else's. And, um, you know, I, it, it hasn't gotten any easier to get health care for us. Um, I think, you know, part of it is that, you know, that the insurance companies restrict the kind of doctors who are who we can see and where we can go. Um, but part of it, too, is just that we're spending so much money on these uh, private companies that are running our public programs, um, health, you know, that are administering our Minnesota care and Medicaid um, on administrative waste. Really, yeah. they're, you know, they're third parties operating public programs. Our tax dollars are going to, to third party operators, um, and then they're just spending a a large portion of that money on administrative costs. Yeah, what, what do we know about how much money is, is I mean, these are, these are multi-billion dollar a year contracts that we make with these nonprofit insurers like yeah. Health Partners and Alina. 
uh, sorry, Medica. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do we know about how this money is being spent and, and whether or not it's being wasted? Well, we really don't know anything. Um, that's, that's part of the problem is that um, a lot of the, you know, we, we don't have access to the encounter data, and there are no third-party audits going on of these um, third-party administrators that are, are administering these public programs. And so um, we can't tell where the money is going. And that's a huge issue. We need to find out where the money is going. There needs to be audits done, third-party, independent audits done of, of these in private insurance co- or private administrative companies um, administering our public health plans. There's something about f- there's about four billion dollars that goes into that system on an annual basis. Um, part of half of that is state money, and half of that is ma- matched by the federal government. So we're talking about two. Over $2 billion of uh, Minnesota taxpayer money going into a private, really run system where we, we don't know where that money is coming or going. So that's like $2 billion a year. So out of the, over the biennial budget, it's about $4 billion. That's just state. That's just the state budget. Mm-hmm. And so, so basically roughly, what, 10, 12% of all the money we spend in the state budget on the, on the, on the side that we're actually working with is, is, is healthcare spending? I'm not the math whiz. I'll yeah. trust you on that. <laughs> so I mean, that's a lot of money. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the, the this Friday there was a press release that came out of the Department of uh, um, Human Services. Uh, Lucinda Jessen released released kind of pre-released an audit. They haven't put the I don't think they put the document out yet. And the 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 press release talks about how these health plans cleared about a 2.4 percent profit over the last 10 years. Um, I thought they were supposed to be nonprofits. Yeah, they're supposed to be. Um, they keep a lot of money in reserves for their risk um, that they assume. Um, but, you know, it, it's kind of funny because with them being nonprofit and it being um, public money, there's not a whole lot of risk there. If um, if these private companies go under, the state would come in and, and help them out. And so, um, yeah, a lot of it is just going into reserves. I mean, the, the, whole exchange, the whole thing that happened last year where some money was given back to the federal government as a gift yeah. Um, what did that say about our system? I mean, is, it, is, there, is there just that much money floating around that folks can just write out a check and say? Um, you know, there's a lot of theories behind that. Um, there was a report that came out from one of our partners, um, the Greater Minnesota Universal Healthcare Coalition. Um, they did a really in-depth study about about that give back and about where the money is being spent. And you can go to their website, um, GMHCC, to read the full report. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's a good thing yeah. um, if they can just afford to write and give. And, and that was from UCARE, which yeah. UCARE only administers public programs. And they're, and they're the smallest of all these insurers. Yeah. All right, when, we, when we come back, we're going to talk more with Aaron Anderson about the push to actually get a Minnesota health plan in and how we can try to make a single-payer health care system work here in Minnesota. So we'll be right back. Nice choice, Tony. All right, you're listening to Left MN Radio Hour on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Aaron Clems with co-host Tony Petrangelo, talking to Aaron Anderson from Healthcare for All Minnesota about single-payer health care. And, you know, you guys have had the Minnesota Health Plan, which is the, which is the piece of legislation that I think John Marty's been the sponsor in the Senate for yep. a while, for the last couple of uh, legislative sessions. Yep, and Carolyn Lane in the House. Oh, I could. My, 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 my representative, that's excellent. Make sure to thank her. Yay. Go Columbia Heights. Okay. Um, so, uh, first of all, what is the Minnesota Health Plan and, and, how, would it, and how would it work? Um, well, the Minnesota Health Plan is the, is the piece of legislation that would um, set up a single-payer system here in Minnesota. Um, how it would work is that every single Minnesotan would be included. 
Um, you could go to any doctor, any clinic of your choice. All licensed providers in, um, in the state would be um, essentially in the network. Um, the plan covers all medical needs, including prescriptions, mental health care, dental services, chiropractic, basically anything that's medically necessary. Um, you would not be rejected because of a pre-existing condition. There would be no deductibles or co-pays. Um, and premiums or on individuals and businesses would really be based on your ability to pay. Um, and then, again, there'd be a, the health plan would be administered by a public board representing you and not the insurance companies. And the plan would focus on preventative care and early intervention to keep people healthy and save money. And so is this modeled after any particular piece of legislation, or is this kind of Minnesota's homegrown version of this? I mean, here in Minnesota, we like to, um, you know, pride ourselves on kind of our being better than the rest of the country. Um, Just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit better. But, uh, you know, it is unique to Minnesota. I think the thing that we can, um, you know, really kind of compare it to uh, is, is Medicare. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing about Medicare that's amazing is how popular that program is. Despite all of the, uh, the opposition to it when it was first um, enacted. I mean, you'd, you'd think that based on the fact that it is probably the best example of what people derisively call socialized medicine sometimes, that it would, if it were really unpopular amongst the public, people would hate Medicare. Well, the thing is, Medicare actually isn't socialized um, because it isn't an example of socialized medicine because we're still using um, private hospitals, private doctors. Those companies are all privately run. Um, it's just that it's administered by one payer. Um, everybody pays into the pool, and then that pool pays out to all those different private um, companies and physicians and hospitals. Um, I think the one example of a socialized system that we have here in the United States is the Veterans Administration. That is a true socialized system. The doctors, hospitals, um, nurses, everybody who works in the VA is employed by the government. And so, yeah, that's, and that's, a, that's a good distinction to keep in mind. It's, but it's funny to hear that folks who... Um, oppose single payer oftentimes imply that it just eliminates a whole bunch of private folks from the system, and really all it's doing is eliminating the middleman at the top of the system. Yeah, it's just you know it, it's um, it's eliminating the um, billers and the coders. If you look at um, the number of uh, the one of the the job growth rate of administrators between 1970 and today, uh, administrative. Uh, Healthcare administrators has gone up over 3,000%, and I'm sure, you know, if you're a late-night person like I am and you see those, uh, the college, the advertisements for colleges, they always talk about the fastest-growing field is healthcare administrator. Yeah, if you don't get me started on for-profit colleges, it might take a while. Um, you're listening to the Left MN Radio Hour on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we're talking with Aaron Anderson from Healthcare for All Minnesota. Um, what, 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 how are you working to try to get this done? I mean, I know there's kind of this period of uncertainty we're in right now about what's, what Obamacare is going to do and how it's going to change the, the health care system. But I know you're working in the long run toward implementing and pushing for the Minnesota health plan. So how are you organizing folks? Well, right now we see it as the perfect time to start organizing because, um, because of the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act allows for a, um, there's a, a waiver in the Affordable Care Act called the State Innovation Waiver, which allows for states to, um, coming up in 2017, apply for, um, you know, to do their own thing, basically. It really allows for states to kind of um, have experiments. And so um, there's a few requirements that it just, uh, cost the same or less than the ACA, uh, get access to the same amount of people or more than the Affordable Care Act and not add to the federal deficit. 
And so when we're talking about um, the Minnesota Health Plan, which studies ha- or single payer health care, which studies have shown in the first year of implementation, as of, as, a po- as compared to the Affordable Care Act, would save four billion dollars in health care spending. Ensure or make sure that everyone has health care access, and uh, everything would be covered. Yeah, I mean, it, and so we, we already have experienced a little bit of the kind of approach of trying to get a waiver mm-hmm. to take a Minnesota-based approach like Minnesota Care and get it recognized by the Obama administration. And I, I don't understand the intricacies of all that, but I know that we've taken it to them and gotten a waiver before. So yeah, and I think part of you know some of the other things that um, Healthcare for All Minnesota is doing to really organize is um, number one is educating the public about what single payer means and and how it would be better than our current system. Um, we are also working a lot with uh, partner organizations and trying to mobilize and, and educate their members on um, single payer healthcare. Um, the nurses have been doing a great uh, great job with this. Um, and, and then we just have some really passionate volunteers that work with our organization that have been going out into their community, talking to their neighbors, their friends, their family, and really just trying to get the word out about how um, a single-payer health care system would cover everyone and cost less. So, I mean, I, I know that Senator John Marty's been a real champion of this. Who are some other champions <laughs> of, the, of, of the Minnesota Health Plan that you want to Talk a little bit about it. people who are doing a good job of getting yeah. the message out. Well, um, Representative, Je- or excuse me, Senator Jeff Hayden, you right. say, yeah. um, he was the, um, the he was the House author um, before he moved over to the Senate. Um, Carolyn Lane, um, and then you know we got some really great um, representatives and senators reelected that have been champions on this issue. Um, Senator. Uh, um, Jim Carlson, Sandy Mason representative. Um, I'm really proud that from in my area, uh, Jerry Newton, Representative Jerry Newton has yeah. been a supporter. I mean, if you go to um, the Minnesota legislative website, it's Senate File 18, House File 76. We have a huge list of authors, especially the House side where you can have an lim- unlimited number of authors. Right. Yeah. Um, the Senate side, we did fill up that jacket and actually just reintroduced a, a, a duplicate jacket. So we have 10 authors over in the Senate as well. Um, and so, you know, to list every single one of them, I don't know if I can do that off the that's top fine. of my head. But no, it's, it's great to have quite a support. Yeah. Um, one other state that's been moving toward a single-payer system is Vermont, and they're, they're ostensibly mo- losing the same system you're talking about, trying to seek a waiver in 2017. Uh, I was wondering if you had any, any update about what's happening there in Vermont. Um, well, I know that what they're trying to do right now is figure out their financing system. Um, they When they um, passed their piece of legislation. It was pretty broad. Um, and so what they're trying to do, the great thing about what happened in Vermont is that their governor ran on single payer. He made it a key issue in his campaign. Um, and they passed it. And then he had to run for re-election. And he, he won his re-election. Um, and so, you know, it, it shows that people over there do support it. And I just actually read a study um, recently that said um, that Almost 60%, or I think it was 56% of Vermonters support the single payer healthcare system, with something like um, 30s or 40% um, opposed to it. And so, a majority of Vermonters do support it. Um, and what they're just—they're trying to figure out their financing system right now. Um, they do have to imp- implement the exchanges because there is a gap between 2014 and 2017 where they can apply for the waiver. Um, and then 2017, they'll apply for the waiver, and hopefully by then we'll be on the same track as them. Yeah. And the states have been the place where a lot of this has happened. And you know, in Canada, Saskatchewan was the people that they started it out in a, in a province and moved yep. to a national program. And, and the greatest Canadian ever, 
is um, Tommy Douglas, the guy who started the Canadian Medicare system. They voted between Celine Dion, Wayne Gretzky, and Tommy Douglas was voted by the Canadian people the greatest Canadian ever. Yeah, we need the greatest American ever with this issue. Right. Thanks very much to Aaron Anderson from Healthcare All for All, Minnesota, HCAMN.org. You can listen to the Left Demand Radio Hour on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, every Sunday from 2 to 3. Thank you.